Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Happy Sabbath to you. It is good to be in God's house with God's people, His body. What a blessed day that we could celebrate May, your leadership, Kitty Campus, that we could celebrate commitment to Jesus in our families and our children, that we could lift our, our voices in song. I, I tell you what, Tom, it's a wonderful thing to have students on our campus again. It's been a summer, but we're here now. So thankful in such quick order, Pastor Jim, that we have had freshmen. Aren't you so glad that there are young men and women interested in giving their gifts to what God is doing? So thank you to the praise team that led with us today. We continue on the second week of a five-week stretch that has to do with your calling, my calling, our calling. Today, call to worship. Last week, call to arms. You recall it. This calling that says you are you're not only invited to come and get a nice, comfortable, comfy seat. Wait, it's Leandro, right? I got it. I'm just making sure I got the name right. I got to practice them every once in a while. Uh, but, but indeed, not just that you find a good, comfortable seat here among us, uh, we've got decent air conditioning in here today. Thank, thank Jesus for that, too and all of the ways you've contributed as a church family to make sure we have that. But God actually is calling you into the fight, as Paul would call it, into this place that will require arms, will require armor, will require us to step up, step out, a call to arms today, a call to worship. I have brought something, May. I've brought a banana, not a tomato. She supplies me with the best tomatoes. Thank you for that, Virgil. But I brought a banana. It is actually today going to just simply be a little bit of a metaphor, if you don't mind. How many of you like bananas? Do you like bananas? A lot of you like bananas. I only have one banana. I saw a hand go way up there. Yes, a couple of fists in the air. I have just one banana, uh, though. So, uh, but it is, it is going to be a metaphor today of my worship. Okay, hang with me. We'll get there together. As we continue on, though, I'd like to invite you to turn, if you wouldn't mind, to Romans chapter 12. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in two main passages. There will be a few other places we'll visit, but Romans chapter 12 is one of them, so you could stick a finger or a bulletin or, a, you know, whatever there if you'd like. Romans chapter 12, and I'm just going to read the first verse as we launch ourselves with a prayer into God's Word. And so that first verse of Romans chapter 12, it says this, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I'm urging you, in view of God's great sacrifice and mercy, the cross of Jesus Christ, we meet here under the cross. But in light of this mercy, I I, I ask of you, I urge you to offer a sacrifice. Don't just come for a comfy place to sit. Don't just come here because it's the habit on a seventh day of the week. Or because you are asked to provide some point of service. As you come here in your heart of hearts, consider your gift. Consider your sacrifice. For me, right now, this banana... This, by the way, a sacrifice, this is your spiritual act of worship. Some of you have known well the word worship as a noun. Something I come to a place because they're going to do things that I like. And I'm going to receive the worship. Or it's the worship is the music. We've gotten to use words that way these days. Or some other thing that I'm going to kind of appreciate is going to be given to me. But in fact, today, I'm calling you to this place of appreciation, as Paul would use these words, that worship is a verb. It is something that I give. It is a sacrifice that I give to God, and so we come in this call to give in an act of worship. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the blessings of the day. 
Thank you that we are comfortable here. Thank you that we are together here. Thank you that today we come in peace without warfare. Thank you that, that we find you here, that you've invited us here, and we come to worship you with an act of sacrifice. We bring you our hearts, and Lord, we thank you for already telling us that you accept us through such a gracious, merciful attitude and act toward us in the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. And amen. So, this may be, for you, this may be a little bit of a, an interesting um, theological stretch to see where we're headed here because we've been talking call to worship. There's a specific understanding, an idea of worship that I want to invite you into and you might not have thought of it before. In fact, I, I will uh, take you to Hebrews chapter 10, if you don't mind, in the 25th verse, you'll see it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Some of you might know your Bible well enough to know where I'm headed, what this verse actually says. So I'll read it to you here. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. I've noticed that the more and more these days... Um, we have all sorts of reasons why maybe we stop meeting. I'll start by saying this really, doesn't, this really doesn't have to do with a response to a pandemic, this kind of conversation. I've heard some people use it that way. But from time to time, there are reasons why we have to be careful. And that's not what Paul is talking about here, that we, that we have to cancel a Sabbath because you know, we've canceled the Sabbath once here because of a waterline break. And I don't think that what uh, Paul is saying here is that the Collegedale Church should have met anyway, even if it created some hazard or danger for individuals because of the conditions of the environment. No, I don't think that's what's being said. I think what's being said is, hey, there is something inside of us that leans toward the possibility of disconnecting. Just naturally, not because there's some pandemic that we're trying to kind of quell or a situation we're trying to remedy there, but that we are naturally prone, as some are in the habit of doing, of disconnecting from the body of believers. And I'm going to suggest to you that there is something implicit to what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12 that has to do with this. That in fact, a part of this sacrifice, it has to do with our view of the body and our role in it. It's this idea of church. And where does the word church even come from? Well, that's a more modern term for what was in Greek a word, ekklesia, which is really the gathering of God's people, the coming together of God's people. By the way, as they translated the Old Testament into Greek in the Septuagint, they used that word, ekklesia, for any time God's people would gather in the Old Testament. It's the gathering of God's people. Some people see the word church and we think of brick buildings or we think of places, a spot, a territory, a geography, what you raised money to build. Some people think of church as a time of day. Are you going to church? No, I'm going to Sabbath school, but then I'm going on to something else. I'm not going to be there for church. A specific service. And that's, we understand why we use the language that way because there are different ways to understand it. But the most scripturally accurate approach to the word church is quite significant and specific and it involves you whether you'd like it or not. I don't know if you've, have you, have you been to some place and said, boy, I really, I like your church. Oh, I came to your church. Have you ever said, I'm going to my church? Yeah, we see we use the language that way and we understand what each other means, but it's not the most scripturally accurate. From the New Testament, the most accurate understanding of church is that you're not going to church, you are the church. You are the church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the New Testament says you are the church. 
There are a number of reasons, uh, probably three in particular, I'll just take a second and think about, why we disconnect from church that are just kind of are natural, not just a slow, low-grade uh, disconnection that we don't even know why we did it. But, but these three, one is disagreement. Being upset and arguing about something, right? Have you noticed that we are prone to an awful lot of arguing? Maybe you're not. I am an arguer. That's how I test thoughts and so on, and so I'm a bit of an arguer. But uh, it's one thing to have an argument or a discussion or a disagree about something. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about that thing where we decide, I, can't, I don't want to be with you. If you're going to say that, I don't even want to be with you. If you're going to, we have it around stuff like masks and no masks, or vaccinations and no vaccinations. It could be about the color of the carpet. Have you, have you ever heard somebody tell the story of why they disconnected from a church and it has to do with how a piece of equipment was used? Or the process by which we decided the color of the carpet? And my comments were not actually really taken into full account. Or, 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 or. In fact, we kind of behave sometimes under this notion that if everything isn't in agreement with me, then I'm disconnecting. As if church were a place that was an assembly of very like-minded individuals who agree about everything, who are likely to go on vacation together. They're very similar people. They're all exactly the same. That's not the church of the New Testament. The church of the New Testament was made up of Jews and Greeks, people of different cultures, people of different races. The struggles over how does this Christianity work if you're a woman versus if you're a man because it seems different than it was in the synagogue. And how does it work for people who are brand new, for people who are not for the young Timothy or for the older? How does it work? In fact, church, more than any other group of individuals on the planet, is the place where the people of greatest difference come together and are somehow bathed in the grace of Jesus Christ and become one. See, that's the miracle of the power of Jesus. The miracle of the power of Jesus is not that he figured out a way to get people who believe just like you all in one room. The miracle of the power of Jesus is that he comes into a room with people that don't think just like you and somehow stitches us together. And this notion... You're going to end up, I, I tell you what, I just was, I was talking to, to a young friend who was just telling me about one of his friends who has kind of left the Adventist church a bit, found a different church, and it was over something that happened to them, a disagreement or maybe a decision that they were making and this sort of thing. I'm going to suggest to you, if you bounce based on disagreement, you're going to land somewhere with disagreeable people. And you're going to bounce again, probably, and probably again. You're going to, to be able to make it, you're going to have to figure out your way through the disagreements. And that's the amazing power of Jesus. Is that his, his stitching us together as a body is not based on how smart, that we're all equally smart, know all the same things, agree about the same things. I tell you what, it's a test today, isn't it? There's plenty to disagree about. Everything around us seems to be anxious to stir us up into argument and maybe disgust with one another. And in the midst of it, Jesus walks in and says, I want to call you my family. You know, that's one of the things that is a principle in our family. My children, my wife, together, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but we know this, we're not leaving we're going to be there. You can dress in a way that isn't what I, how I would dress, but guess what? You're an adult now, and I'm going to be here. I'm not going to say, well, if you're going to, hmm, then I'm out of here. I'm finding another family. No, this is my family. You are my family. While I or you may in moments be disagreeable, we stick and we stay. The second is mistreatment. Coldness. Unloving acts. If you are around people long enough, you're going to run into that, are you not? If you are honest enough, you're going to know in this moment there's probably something that you've done that if you've never asked forgiveness for, you ought to. I ought to. Sooner or later, something happens that is 
is, uh, causes a disagreement. Now, this is true, and I, I regularly, I find, I find young believers especially, I've had this conversation with a lot of my younger friends who say some version of this. You know, it's Jesus I'm good with. Jesus I love. It's, it's, it's the church that I have a problem. And one of my favorite responses to that is because often it's somebody who feels a certain level of trust in me so that they would actually say such a thing to me, Right? And so they feel some connection with me. It's, you know, Jesus I'm good with. It's the church that I have a problem with, and I've, I've, I'm, I'm, good. I'm, I'm out. And my favorite response to say is, man, I feel so bad. I, if I knew particularly what it was about, I would, I would seek to work on that. But I feel so bad that I've affected you this way. And immediately they almost always say, well, no, 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 no. I didn't mean you. And I wonder, who do you mean? Who gets to be the church? Don't, I, don't you get to not only get to be, you are the church. I am the church. And here's the other truth of it, because I've had so many of those conversations and then tracked that, conversations, that conversation down the days and into the years. And a year later, two years later, that individual who's good with Jesus but it's not good with the church, has walked away from the church, and I check in with them, and I'm still looking to find the person who has a better relationship with Jesus after they've disconnected from fellowship. I just don't find it. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. But the ones that I talk to, I've noticed that while you are not saved by being a member or inside the church, you can easily, more easily, be lost outside of a fellowship. Because there's something that happens that draws us together, connects us to, brings us to some accountability and process. You know, the third real easy, and it's really, I think, a fond one around here for why people or how people can disconnect from church is that we have the options that allow us to take an approach of church hopping. That's what we call it around here, right? Well, I go to this, I go to the college. What church are you a member of? Well, I'm actually a member of a church back in Pennsylvania. I never, it's, kind of, it's kind of odd. I never tra- transferred my membership because I, I go to church here, and then I go over to the community church, I go over to Crosswalk, and then I go over to you know, th- th- this church, and then I go home, and then one I go canoeing on a particular Sabbath, and then I'm back to the Collegedale Church on occasion, and yeah, I do like your church. But what that does is we become passive and observers of the body of Christ, not actually a part of the body of Christ. So I'm looking out and I'm seeing a number of our college students here, and I just want to encourage you, number one, we love you, and we desperately would love to have you be a part of our family. We understand you have choices and options. Just do not do this, please. I beg of you, please, do not be a hopper from one place to the next, to the next, to the next, and never engage. You know what? Our church has said, our church manual says it, if you're anywhere for more than six months, you should move your membership there. And I recommend you do it. Whether it's here or a different church you find, move your membership. What does it say when you don't? It says, I'm not actually a part of here. You guys are up to something. I come and I I check it out, and especially interested if maybe there's a fellowship meal or that sort of thing, but I'm just kind of hanging back. That's your church. I'm not responsible for what God is doing here. I'm just observing it, and I'll give you some kudos on occasion. But in fact, rather than hopping and moving, and by the way, let's just be honest about it, it's not just our younger people, is it? I I, I absolutely have had this conversation with individuals who have been a participant in worship from the pew and held back and heard them share with me, and this might have been something that you have felt or even said, you know, I'm just a little tired and I just wanted, I just wanted to, I don't really, I want to just, I want to go to a place where I could be a little bit anonymous, and I get it every once in a while, you need to catch your breath, but you also ought to be able to say that to your family. I need a breather right now. But what you don't want to be is lost out in kind of orbit. In fact, amazingly, while you might wonder, hey, wait a minute, where does the Bible even talk about church in the kind of way that you would become a member, you would engage in that kind of way? Where does the Bible even talk about that? And it doesn't use that language, but there is clarity in the New Testament of how we view ourselves. And we're going to start by going again, if you don't mind, 
back there to Romans 12. Actually, before we get there, I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. I want to show you something, a pattern of what happens. In Acts chapter 2, you remember Peter is preaching. It's Pentecost, and there's an amazing reaction to the words of Peter in the hands of the Holy Spirit that that, uh, people give their hearts to Jesus. Believe him to be the resurrected Lord and Savior. They repent. Check this out in, in the, I'll throw it on the screen, in the 41st verse of Acts chapter 2. It says this, those who accepted his message, that's Peter, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. First of all, by the way, somebody's keeping track. Why? And, and I'm going to suggest to you it's not because they were hoping for a number and they achieved it or that they were about to go back and applaud the number. No, but if you aren't keeping track of who's added, you can't be a good family to them. You don't drive down the street, roll down the window, and just yell out for children to come to your vehicle. You could get arrested that way. You call your own children by name, right? Because you know them to come in to dinner. And so they're, they're, they're keeping track. Watch what happens Those that accepted his message were baptized, about 3,000 added to their number, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. A couple of verses later in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts in smaller groups. By the way, we're going to talk a little bit about a call to a small group community in a couple of weeks. It goes on in verse 47, the praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's the, here's the, here's the sequence. A person is, is arrested by this, this Jesus who is the risen Savior, who is a sacrifice for their life, who has given himself on the cross and has rose, risen from the grave. And they repent and they are converted. Next step is they are baptized in a demonstration, public demonstration on the outside of what has happened on the inside. Then they are added to the number, right? They're added to this grouping, to this family, and they engage with this family. They're taught, and they are activated, right? Think of it. Same guy who's writing these words, Paul, went through such a thing. Paul was named Saul, Saul of Tarshish. He was, he was actually, he, he hated Jesus, the notion of Jesus, people who followed Jesus, and he was anxious to hunt them down and kill them, quite frankly, stonings and so on. And in the midst of all of this, Saul, riding along one day, has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and it is such an encounter that causes him to repent and turn. And it's such a turning that his name isn't going to even stay the same. It's going to become Paul instead of Saul. And he is converted. What happens? Well, he goes on and, and, and asks for baptism. He is baptized. And then he engages with the disciples and, and joins in with that ministry, right? He doesn't stay off by himself. Here's the interesting truth. What you find in the New Testament, there are, I'll give you four metaphors what it means to be a Christian in the New Testament that are very common. One is sheep. It's not a flattering one. Uh, Sheep are on the idiot end of the scale of animals, and, uh, and, and they have trouble, certainly have big troubles when they're on their own. In fact, Jesus will talk about it. This is my fold. These are my sheep. And if one would leave, I go out to find it and bring it back into the fold. There is a togetherness thing that is a part of that metaphor. Another metaphor that you'll find in 1 Peter, for instance, and other places, is that we are the temple of the living God. We are a new priesthood, right? But it is a plural. It is we. In fact, it even says Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple. And that we are brick by brick, stone by stone, building the house that God resides in, in this particular metaphor. And one must wonder, would I choose to just say, no, 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 I don't need any of the rest of you. I'm my own temple, right? I'm my own cornerstone. I got it all together. It's all I need. It's just me. Another metaphor that we find that's an important one um, is this idea of family. You know, one person does not a family make, right? Right? It's, it's two people start a family. 
And then they have a little girl, and then they have a little boy. And a family develops. And Jesus uses the metaphor of a family, a household, which is more than just one going alone. And we find that in Scripture, there isn't this notion of you or me going it alone as a safe idea. And so we land again in Romans chapter 12, and we pick up the fourth metaphor. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. This, what we're about to talk about, what we're getting into here, it's about worship. An action of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Four, and here we're getting to it. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So time out, time out, time out, time out. There's a, there's a two-word phrase that Paul gives there that he uses a lot in Scripture. It's called in Christ. Do you remember Romans chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8? In Romans chapter 7... Paul describes what's going on inside himself. He uses, it's, it's, he's, you could tell, he's just worked up. He says, you know, the thing I want to do, I set this, I, I make this decision, this is what I want to do, this is what I set out to do, and I don't do it. And then there's this other thing that I, I'm absolutely against doing, and I end up doing it. And I find, therefore, there's a war, there's a battle that's waged inside of me that I am struggling with this sin that besets me. And then chapter 8, verse 1, he says, but now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are safe. If you have accepted his death and resurrection, if you repent to him, he is always going to forgive, and he will work with you from there. But even with the war raging inside of us, if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. And Paul here, same author, says, by the way, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, what is it when you're in Christ? Though many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. So do you see what's going on here? He's going to use this metaphor of the body repeatedly in Scripture. First Corinthians and other places, he's going to talk about the body. He's going to say that you're like, you're a special, unique part of the body, without which the body is crippled or won't function correctly. But you're a part of a larger whole. In other words, no, you're not saved by being in the body, you're saved by being in Christ, but that is also in the, in the body, right? So that this notion of me going it alone and just being an observer, maybe casting a couple of thoughts your way when I see something I disagree with, that's not what it means to be in Christ Jesus. It is actually to be interested in belonging some of us, I wonder, do we think that it's only when we get to heaven that we'll begin practicing what it's like to be with other people? No, no. Jesus says, when you come to me, you become a part of my thing. Not just your thing. And you may think that your worship, like this banana, it's all about your thing. I brought it. By the way, <clears throat> I haven't eaten a lot today. I don't know how well you did on this, but I haven't eaten a lot. And, well, if you don't mind, because I, I don't know whether I should seek permission. I shouldn't seek permission. It's a metaphor, so I can get away with it, don't you think? Probably. So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask this. Can I have a bite of the banana? Is that all right? Yes, good. He said yes. So, and it's a good banana. It's just right, you know? Mm. I'm sorry for anybody who doesn't like bananas. Frankly, I apologize to those of you who do. But 
It's a good, it's a, it, it's a good banana and, and it doesn't really destroy the metaphor there. It's still a banana. We'll be all right. Though I did miscalculate the moisture level and that was going to happen in, in here. Okay, so thank you. <clears throat> Sorry for that little tiny aside. Again, Paul here says that if you are in Christ, you are stitched into his body. And by the way, there's something lovely and wonderful about that. I'll give you this example as we read, continue to read. Verse 9 of chapter 12, I, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. The, the New Testament talks a lot about this notion of one another Ing. It's not really a word, but one anothering, right? That you do this for one another, that you are this way to one another. And some of us seem to have resolved that, um, that request of God by not being around others. Keep ourselves separate somehow. I'm not going to be in a body of believers because they're messy. They're quite frankly wildly imperfect, which by the way, if you find a perfect church, I'm pretty sure you nor I should join it because we'll mess that up. Beyond that, Christ says that wheat and tares will grow up together. I can't even always know what's going on inside a person, whether they are actually truly repentant and saved by, by Jesus. By the way, you should probably be very, very hesitant. In fact, don't do it, going around talking to people and, and pointing out that I believe you to be a tare. You're clearly not one of God's, or you would agree with me. But in fact, that we are to do this for one another, honor one another. They're, they're just You read through Scripture, you're going to find, pray for one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, edify one another, comfort or confront one another, rebuke one another, restore one another, forgive one another, bearing one another's burdens, and on and on and on. It implies that there are, is another, that we are in this together. And Paul would say that's, that's what it means to actually be in Christ. To be in Christ Jesus is to be in a family of God. And there are incredible benefits to this, are there not? In fact, if we, if we consider it, a longing of every human heart is to be among people that would know them and yet still be glad you were there. <laughs> Have you had that moment? I don't, I don't think I want you to really know me because I'm afraid that would lead to rejection. We spend an awful lot of time dressing ourselves up, figuratively speaking, so that we can pass for something acceptable, but fearing that down deep, if you really got to know me uh, in Christ Jesus, we understand well the mess we come from and the mess we're dealing with, and you can be known and belong. And in fact, if, 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 if we are pushing anyone out on the basis of making it um, too hard to actually be honest about who we are, we need to repent of that as a body of believers. But to be loved, to be taught, to be a part of the family of God to, is to be respected and to be helped, to be ministered to, forgiven, challenged, and held accountable. Also stimulated to serve, encouraged along the way. I don't know how many of you like, uh, there are two things that I really find therapeutic. One is watching and listening to waves crashing on a shore. Like it. Another one is to sit, uh, maybe especially in Michigan we would have this, to sit it, while blizzarding outside in front of a fire. Oh, just the crackling, the scent of it, all of that. Every once in a while, even in the summertime, we might have a fire in a fire pit and bring out the, you know, the, I don't even know what they're called anymore. I'm, I get this one wrong. The Big Franks, the Loma, Lin I don't even know. Are there Link yet? I don't know what they are anymore. I just eat them. So onto a stick it goes and into the fire. And, and if you can let the fire, the flames die down and you get it into those good coals, right? A little rotate. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's lovely. Have you noticed that if you were to take one of the coals out of that fire, not, not with your hands, and set it to the side and then watch the difference in how quickly things change, a coal by itself doesn't stay burning long. Whereas in the fire, 
heat is shared and they stay learning, stay, stay warming and stay red hot for so much longer. And God says that you're called to be a brother, a sister in the family of God. To be loved and understood. To be accountable and taught. To experiment in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory. And that that is best done in some parts. Only done when you are with other believers as a part of a body. You know, if you were to sever my hand, please don't, but if you were to sever this left hand and put it in my office, there are not now two of me. There's still just one. And dying flesh in my office that would need some serious repair because it can't exist off in that way. And this is true, this body metaphor, whether it is the sheep in the fold metaphor, this is true of both you and me. You remember Jesus? Uh, I said that as if you might have forgotten Jesus. You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 uh, is sharing about issues of forgiveness and reconciliation and in the back half of this chapter he talks about what you should do if somebody offends you or there's a problem and he doesn't say what you should just do is leave. Just find a different group. Just keep looking until you find all the people who believe and agree exactly as you do. He doesn't say that. What he says is if there's a problem and if somebody violates something that is important to you, if there's an argument that is a real breakdown, something like this, what you do is you go to that person seeking to reconcile it because you should be together. You seek to reconcile that. If that doesn't work... Jesus says, what you do is then you go get a trusted individual who can go with you, somebody that you both respect so that they might help you to through it. You could see what your part is and apologize. They could ask forgiveness for what their part is and be reconciled. If that doesn't work, then you take that matter to the body of believers, to the family of Jesus, to the ecclesia is what it says in Matthew chapter 18. The church yeah, you're right. You're right that there isn't a clear kind of voice to church membership. Here's exactly how you do it and what you should do that Jesus kind of almost wrote in some stone. No, 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 but it's implicit throughout the New Testament. You are not meant to be alone. Do you know, by the way, there's only one thing God said was not good prior to sin. Do you remember it in Genesis? It is not good that man should be alone. We are built, we are meant to be together, to be a family. And if this season and this time has made it easy for you to disconnect, we'll, we'll, we'll work all the harder together to reconnect. But I challenge you to be a part of the family of God. I want to take you finally to this banana Actually, I've been thinking about it since I since they set it back down here. If you, if you is this okay, Mom? This is Virginia McCaffrey, my my mother-in-law right here. Is it okay? Can I have another bite? It seemed rude to you. It's not what you would do, is it? No, no, I know you wouldn't. But that's okay. So. <clears throat> It's actually a very tasty banana. It's pretty perfect. <clears throat> in Malachi chapter 1, some of you who are familiar with this chapter, if you don't mind going there, this is the, the last real uh, section we're going to take a look at today. But Malachi chapter 1 is a fascinating conversation between God and his people. See, here's what's going on. God was trying to help them understand the sacrifice to come, this Jesus who was coming to save mankind. And so gave them a whole process through which to go through to try to envision as a metaphor, kind of like the banana, a metaphor of what was to come. The cross of Christ. And so what God asked of them to do is, because they were very agricultural as a group of people, and many of them had flocks of sheep, what you do is you go and you find your very best sheep and you bring it to sacrifice. 
This is your act of worship. Worship is something you do. So boy, for those folks, they knew. Worship was a verb, right? A, a bit of a messy one, in fact. And so they would go and they would take, they would look through their, their flock and pick out the very best sheep. It's, of course, obviously, and Malachi is going to say in a little bit, all, everything is God's anyway. All you're doing is saying all of this is yours and I give all of me to you. But in this symbolic moment, here is the best of my sheep. But here's what was going on. You see, along the way, people were, of course, uh, thinking about themselves and, um, well, just the things they needed and the things they wanted. Maybe they got up at 5 o'clock that particular morning and had missed breakfast. And sure, it's supposed to, it's going to be a metaphor, but frankly, it's right here and I can take a bite out of the banana. And so I'm, I'm going to do that. And, and uh, it's still a banana. It's just a little smaller and peeled. But there it is. And so they would go into their flock, and instead of taking the very best of the sheep, they would look around for one that could pass for the best, but isn't the best. In fact, one that maybe they're not going to get as much money at market, or maybe it's not going to be as good in the line of sheep that they are developing. And so they might have one that's crippled, can't walk right. It's actually growing, and it's fine. So I'm going to grab that one. I'll carry it in a very loving gesture to the altar. No one will know. I'll give a crippled lamb, and maybe I can get, I'll get away with that as if it's my best one. See, I'm acting like I'm giving everything, like I'm giving my best, but it's not. Or, this is even better, because if I lead it just right, no one will know. If, unless they've been watching my flock and see this lamb bouncing into trees, they're not going to know that this lamb is blind. I can get it to the altar, and it looks perfect. I don't know what I would have to do to this banana at this point, because my sewing skills aren't great. Um, staple this together, maybe fill it with packing peanuts. I don't know, but get it to the, get it to the sacrifice as if it is perfect. And so in the midst of this, through the prophet Malachi, God is having a conversation with the people who are doing things this way, who are seeing worship as a point of convenience, as a part of their ritual. It's kind of what they do. And so they dress up and they do their thing, but quite honestly, they're holding out. I don't know. If you've ever had an honest moment where you peer down into your heart and you realize about yourself that you've been holding out. You look good enough on the outside. Other people see you. The right day, the right offering experience, the right suit and tie, the right whatever. But in the midst of it, God's voice shows up and in verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? wrong? And then verse 10 he says, oh that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not use light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. I wonder if there's ever a day when Jesus and if he and I had an honest conversation on my way to church, if he'd say, you know, maybe don't go. With what you are prepared to bring to the altar today, maybe don't go. Is that your best banana? Seriously? I noticed you had a couple bites out of it. And it's peeled. You have been called to give and sacrifice. And I wonder, as we hop from place to place, hoping to stay anonymous, not wanting to fully engage, not wanting somebody to step out and say, hey, we could really use your help. What would you be interested in doing? But if I could just stay anonymous, stay just back, and no one will know I'm a visitor. And God says, you know what, though? There aren't visitors in my family. You're in my family. You're a son, you're a daughter, or you're choosing to opt out of the kingdom. In fact, I would rather we shut the doors of the church than have worship where you're not worshiping with your whole heart. He goes on to say, when you bring injured lambs, diseased animals, and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal for the, to the Lord. And I wonder, to you, to me, 
I wonder, where are you? Where am I? God is calling us to full engagement and sacrifice for him, to full all-out worship, to be a part of his body, this call to worship. As you recall it, we said it before, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, as we close, last week we were in Ephesians chapter 6, and we were talking about the armor of God, and this starts with, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There is much to be done as the body of Christ, and he is calling you in, all the way in. Do you remember the, the different pieces of the armor? Maybe you do. There, there's the belt of truth. There's the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness from the gospel of peace. There's the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. There's six pieces of armor, right? I just held out four fingers as if that was the symbol for six, but you, you get it. Six pieces of armor. But there's another piece that's implied because as we talked last week, Paul knows full well how the Roman soldiers work, what their armor is all there to do. By the way, not one of these pieces of armor is there specifically to protect the back. And yes, it would be appropriate to say that as Christians, we're always moving forward. <laughs> yeah. But there's something you'd be missing, and that is this, that the soldiers, these Roman soldiers, and especially their shield, they used in very specific ways, in specific formations, to thwart the enemy. In, in a way that you need, to, you need, maybe it's easiest for you to see. This, in fact, is called the testudo formation that you'll see on the screen. These Roman soldiers, where the front line of soldiers would put the shield almost their height, so it would protect from their shins up to their eyeballs. And then the row behind them would flip their shield up on top and it would rest on the helmets of the soldiers. And they would kind of layer these back so that firing flaming arrows or darts or missiles of any sort at this group, they could defend them. They would just bounce off. You see, we talked last week about the armor of God, but there was one piece that we, we didn't really mention. And that is, for my back, you know what the armor is? You. I am your armor, and you are mine. It's something these Roman soldiers knew well. We live in such a world, it is not safe to go alone. And Jesus calls us into the body. I just need you to know you are coveted and longed for here to become a part of this family. If you're a student, just going to be here for a year, I encourage you to consider. Move your membership, engage deeply, get involved, affect who we are, and let us contribute to your life. We want to not only have you here pleasantly as a guest, but we want to be family. And if it's not this place, pick one and engage deeply. If you've been a church visitor for years now, from one place to the next to the next, I plead with you to hear God's voice calling you into the depth of everything he has in mind and everything that he has in store for you. Remember the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 which say this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You are called all the way into worship. It is your sacrifice. And yes, yes, to, to be that close and connected with people like me, it very well may best be characterized as a sacrifice. It is your sacrifice to God. Don't give some partial, half-eaten banana, some almost real lamb, but a blind one. Give all the way in where you are blessing the lives of one another and you're being lifted when you go through difficulty. And when the trouble comes, you'll have family. For we were meant to walk together. And you know there's something else Jesus says about the family of God? 
He says this, get it sorted out now because there are some in this world who will never see any clearer picture of Jesus than when they look at my body, you, together. And what does it say of the power of Jesus? If the best we can say is the way we keep from getting upset with each other is just not to see each other to go away from each other. No, no. This is the place where the young and the old, the black and the white, the educated, the uneducated, the employed and those looking for a job, the divorced and the married. This is the place bathed in the grace of Jesus Christ that at home we find fulfillment and belonging and demonstrate that I don't need to hang out with just Republicans or just Democrats or just Americans or just people with hair. I am most blessed by the manifold differences in the body of Christ. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would overcome all of the obstacles we put in your way, that you would take our sacrifice today and you would honor it, that you would help us to be family together, that you would call us to this kind of worship that is a part of your body. Anybody who's struggling or wrestling with this message, I pray that you will be with them, convict their heart, convict my heart, make up for any difference, a gap in what I've said. The Lord God, would you also, through your spirit, in the way only your spirit can, would you convincingly share with those in the hearing of these words that we long to be a family together and this is the place to start and to be. And so we live this week blessed by your presence and your name, blessed by your sacrifice and your grace, called to be one with you and one with each other, not because we're ignorant of each other, we well know, but because you have shown us how to love one another. In Jesus, we claim the promise of your presence, amen.